Hey, hey, what's up? You're joining the DCC Podcast. My name is Drew, and we are back for another episode of The Quest. Yes, that's right, we're on episode two, and yes, there is a dragon, and his name is Debt. In today's episode, we not only look at the challenges of debt, but we also talk through some of the practical ways we can minimize its hold on our lives. While it's definitely an intimidating topic for many of us, don't be discouraged. With some determination and the resources we're going to provide for you, you too can do it. And together, we're going to conquer the dragon of debt. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about managing debt. Who is the most famous dragon? I, I mean, I was thinking about this on the way over. Smog is what comes to mind. If you've read The Hobbit as a kid. Um, but, but I do think when you think about the visual of a dragon and, and hoarding wealth and kind of how it can just crust its paw right down on your head, I think in a lot of ways that's what debt does to us. You know, it's, it's the chains that kind of bind us. So we'll go ahead and if this will come over. So starting with the quest, um, you see the silhouette at the bottom. If you recognize it, of course, Lord of the Rings. But we have a quote from, from Gandalf. So all we have to do is decide, or all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And, and I like that as you think about this journey because, again, uh, this is a choice as we'll look at the definition of quest. It's not easy. So that's usually why attendance drops off week two because folks come week one and they want the magic key. You know, they want, they want the genie and the lamp and I wish it existed. You know, we could rub up here and bring Aladdin out and, and, and say, hey, all your debt problems, all your money problems are solved, but it will be a long or arduous search uh, for something, to co- something considered to be important or valuable. And again, I love looking, if, if you find the definition of arduous, involving or requiring stren- strenuous effort, difficult and tiring. So again, it, it's something I would hope everybody here would commit to Try it till the end of the year. You know, and if your life isn't better in a big way or a small way, then, then quit. But don't walk away and, and say, well, that didn't work. Or, you know, it, it's, we talked about the gym a lot last week, but if you went to work out one time and say, oh, I don't have rip muscles, I don't have abs, this doesn't work. Anybody who works out knows that's not how it works. You know, it's consistency over a long period of time, and it's the same way with your finances. So look at a recap, because it is building blocks. If we don't have a budget, we can't tackle debt, because the only way to tackle debt is we have to know of our cake, how much do we have to allocate towards debt. So a show of hands, anybody start to work on a spending plan, a budget, or, or take a look, maybe review, revisit a budget? Maybe half the room. Um, And of course, if we look at that process and why it it builds on itself, we first got to see what we have to work with, how big our cake is. So that's the net income. And again, net income is what hits your bank account, whether you're working or Social Security or pension or IRA distributions or whatever it might be. Uh, Gross income, the big number, net income, what you have to work with. So that's our cake. Then we've got to figure out where are we giving cake away to right now. So, so where does money go currently? Uh, everybody probably remembers that, again, I don't really like rule of thumbs, but 50, 30, 20. 
try to, to have 50% of your monies, your net income, go to things you have to have, 30% to things you want to have, and 20% to kind of long-term savings, retirement, gifts, all that good stuff. And again, the, the idea is we don't do the once before we do the haves in the long term. So simple way to think about that, if you have a $1,000 in net income, the goal should be, if you like a rule of thumb, 500 to have tos, 300 to want tos, and 200 to long term. So if you have 2,000, just double everything I have. If you have 1,500, just multiply it by 1.5 to, to get your threshold. So again, we've got to know where money goes to, to start to put a plan together. And of course, step three is where we're setting goals. And if you remember, we talked about be smart with the goals. So the acronym SMART, S-M-A-R-T. Uh, and look at different time frames of, of goals, short term, medium term, long term goals. Make a plan. So again, I, I think if, if you wanted to lose weight, you would kind of work through this same type of process. But we've got to come up with some type of, of plan. And then, of course, lastly, if we don't check back in, none of this matters. You know, again, you might have one or two nice takeaways, but if you don't actually check back in on your budget to see how you're doing uh, or your progression towards paying off debt, you know, maybe you learned a thing or two along the way. So as we look at last week, and I know that this is uh, being recorded for the podcast, do you have the mic, Sam? Or? Okay. I thought if anybody wanted to share, were there any takeaways from, from last week to, to kind of open up this week? Anybody want to share any takeaways from last week? Aha moments? That's usually the response that, that I will get, so that's okay. Uh, we'll go ahead and, and kind of dive in, but certainly if anybody you know, brave enough, bold enough to, to say, hey, I learned this or I did this, uh, let me know and we'll come back to it. So, oh, yeah, go ahead. I checked that my... Uh have tools are way over 50 percent mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know how to uh, to bring that back for example mm -hmm. and then like budgeting becomes like how like if I want to use that rule how do I come back to 50 and then I can uh, start uh, budgeting the other part yeah yeah that's a great point so my guess is if most of you looked at that and looked at it, where our money goes probably over half of it goes to, to what we would define as have-tos. And I think probably a big part of that is housing, right? Whether that's rent or a mortgage payment. Uh, and that is tricky in this region, in Delaware County. I mean, of course, rents have, have you know, if you're renting, rent is, is on the rise. I mean, if you have a mortgage and, and you're able to, to afford one, of course, you have a fixed rate, typically. But I, I think it's, Again, the 50, 30, 20, I would say, would be aspirational. I realize probably a lot of you, if you looked right now, you're not there today. But, but it's a goal to work towards, and that's something you know, definitely offline we could kind of take a look and say some type of strategy or plan over a couple of years to, to try to get there. Also about last week, I remember we talked about it was easier to cut expenses rather to make more money because mm -hmm. one is in our control versus the other it's not. Yeah, yeah, great point. And, and thanks for sharing. I mean, I like that because it's really the, the idea is that we spend less than we make. And you'll hear a lot of folks say, well, make more than you spend. 
And you can do both. I mean, certainly it's always good to grow the top number, the income, but it's a, a whole lot easier to control what you spend and work within that. Uh, and, and again, there are probably folks who we would look at their budget and say, hey, here's what comes in. There's not much else we can cut. And that's where you have to, to start to really strategize and develop a, a plan. But I would say that's probably, it's certainly the exception to the rule. You know, that's probably 10% of, of folks as the broad population where you'd look and say, hey, you're living so tight that, that we've got to figure out a way to grow the top number. And again, ideally you're doing both, but it's a lot easier to control the expenditures. If it's 50, 30, 20 is, is, um, I, is a dream, what would be a more realistic um, number breakdown? Well, what would it be, uh, you know, if, if you know, I, I looked at mine too, I mean, my housing is about 25%. Listen, yeah. if it's 25% to try to get to that 50%, it's almost impossible. And, and given even, even lately given, and I'm not, I don't want to get into the whole thing here, but given even lately, food expense has gone up 30% in my house. So that's a one. That's, you know, that's a need, that's not a want, well, maybe it's a want, you know, but uh, maybe we should. The need, maybe I mean, maybe basic grocery in a diet, expenditures, yeah. So, so between house and eating is, is pretty, is there, is there a more ideal number? Is there a more realistic number? And Even know, given the economy at the time? I know, Brian, I saw you, you so you certainly feel free to, to share some of your wisdom insight. I mean, I, I do think that it is tricky. Uh, the short answer is it depends on each situation, right? Because we're talking percentages, so it'll depend on percentage of what. Because if you have a lot more income to work with, you could solve a lot more problems. Whereas right. if we're saying 50% of, hey, we've got $1,000 in net income, there might not be much wiggle room in the plan. But if we're saying 50% of our household brings in 5,000 of net income or 4,000, know, then I, I think you get a little bit more wiggle room. But I'm curious to hear what Brian not to put you on the spot, Brian, but I know, you know, you're also an expert in these things. If you guys do not know, this is Brian Cooper. He's, uh, uh, I would say, one of the, the, the wisest expert finance guy we know when it comes to day-to-day -day things, <laughs> budgeting and creating goals and making plans. I, I remember me and Laura sitting with him and he asked me this first question ever. Laura and I looked at our face like, looked at him and we're like, this guy is weird. He, he asked, like, what is your guy's financial goals? And we look at each other like, survive? <laughs> like, is that a goal? And he's like, no, that's not a goal. So um, Brian and Ms. Brenda, I don't know if you know this, Ms. Brenda is part of the finance team. And uh, the reason why Delaware Christian Church is doing financially so well is because Ms. Brenda, Susan Coburn, and Jen Kondo takes an amazing care of your tithes and offerings. So. Uh, they are wisdom to be listened to. Yeah, so. absolutely. What you need to remember is this condition you're in now didn't take, you know, you didn't get there overnight. And so it's going to take a long time to get back out. And so th the numbers that Dusty's given is where you want to get to. It may be five years down the road. It may be 10 years down the road. That's okay. What you don't want to do is water that goal down now and say, you know, I want to be able to save 2%, and that's my long-time goal. You'll never get to do what you want to do. So keep the numbers that Dusty's got in front of you 
as the goal, and every, you know, every six months, every year, you're making just a little bit of progress towards that. So I don't want to give you a different number because I don't want to water that down because, you know, anytime we water a goal down, what happens? You know, a goal is a stretch goal. If we water down the stretch goal, we're not stretching and we don't get to where we really want to go. Just one comment I want to make is uh, it's really important for you to set what your life goals are and then let your life goals, what you want to accomplish in life, dictate your budget. Unfortunately, most people's budget is dictating their life because mm -hmm. they got into some bad choices. And so that's where it's really good to just kind of start over, look at what's really important, and you may find that you end up removing some things out of your life because they are tr truly detrimental to where you want to get to. But what I found is most couples never, ever had that conversation. Yeah. And so that's really important. I have one other thought on the 50, 30, 20. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if your budget needs more than your 50 to, to meet your halves, you're gonna have to cut that from your 30, from your wants, because your wants are not have tos. So, I mean, that's the area I would look first, that you know, right. you're gonna have to sacrifice somewhere to make all the numbers match. You know, and if you can't sacrifice your have tos, your needs, then you have to, you know, look at where you can sacrifice in your wants. Mm -hmm. In my personal, it's trying to figure out what wants and needs are is hard. And I think that's a hard problem. It's a hard problem, right? What your wants and, and, and needs are. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's a journey that I, I find myself into. Yeah, and thanks for Brian and Brenda sharing a little bit. I mean, I know it's a tough thing because, you, th you know, and I mentioned it last week even, my wife and I, first couple of years, DiGiorno was a treat. I mean, so, so it's, you know, how much are you willing to sacrifice? And, and that's why, again, 400 people should probably be here. And there's 40 books. It's tough. You know, longer, well, I, I took it off there, but longer, arduous journey that, that we're on. So uh, last week we got some wisdom from, like, Ben Franklin, from Leo uh, Tolstoy, um, this week, I'm, I'm going to bring a, a little bit of wisdom, but one of the things, of course, we're trying to, to avoid from the great Michael Scott. Hey, cuz. Heard you're having money problems. No, you didn't. Listen, I got the answer. You declare bankruptcy, all your problems go away. Creed Bratton has never declared bankruptcy. When Creed Bratton gets in trouble, he transfers his debt to William Charles Schneider. How would that help, Creed? In Monopoly, you go bankrupt, you lose. You don't go by Monopoly, man. That game is nuts. Nobody just picks up get-out-of-jail-free cards. Those things cost thousands. That is a good point. Bankruptcy, Michael, is nature's do-over. It's a fresh start. It's a clean slate. Like the witness protection program. Exactly. Not at all. I've always wanted to be in the witness protection program. Fresh start. No debts, no baggage. I've already got my name picked out, Lord Rupert Everton. I'm a, uh, a shipping merchant who raises fancy dogs. That's the life. I declare bankruptcy! I'll be honest, I don't know, any Office fans in here? Couple? It's my wife for about five years. You got to watch it. Go and I watch a little bit, and 
I just couldn't get into it, but I don't know what clicked. I mean, it took like five years of harassment from her. And, and I mean, just the slapstick humor I just find hilarious now. So let's take a look at a, a definition of debt. And this, of course, will be obvious to, to everybody in the room, but I think we have to, to make sure we're all on the same page in terms of what we're talking about. Uh, so debt, you look at, it's, of course, something owed or a state of being under obligation to pay or repay someone or something. And then looking at just some statistics, and Sam had shared some of this Sunday. I shared some even last week. But the problem, and, and this could go on and on. I mean, I had to limit it to four bullet points. I could have put 400 bullet points here. And you'll see different figures uh, out there, but roughly half of Americans carry credit card debt, probably the worst type of debt. Uh, the average, what's interesting, the average family has 6,200. The book, I think, says 8,300, but a lot of credit card debt. So if, if you're a math person, if you think, well, only half carry credit card debt, uh, but the average, which would be spread out across everybody, is 6,000 or 7,000 or 8,000. That means the half that carry it are actually closer to 10, 11, 12,000 as the actual average. So it's a big, big number, and of course, that's just credit card debt. Uh, we had ended last week with you know, all the things that, that money comes into. Money is certainly not everything, but will it help with your marriage? Yes. Will it help you be a better dad? Yes. Will it help you be a better mom? Yes. A grandpa? I mean, all the coworker, neighbor, because of, of the psychological impact of money. And, and study after study shows this, but even something, and when I say money will improve these areas, is it isn't, well, I could take my kid to Disney. That might be, but, but if you have issues with money, you're probably stressed a lot. And, and that stress trickles over into every area of your life. So there was a study done I thought was interesting, uh, the psychological cost of debt. So 83% of people without debt consider themselves satisfied with life. 70% of folks with debt say they're satisfied. Life. So again, we see it in the numbers because that money, you know, if you're worried about how am I going to pay this bill, that's going to trickle over every area of your life. And few people have the, the mental fortitude just to turn that off and not think about it. You know, you worry about it, you think about it. And then the last piece, if you look by generation, this is a little bit small, so I'll try to read some of this. Uh, but it breaks down by generation. Gen Z has roughly 9,500 of debt, of course, being the youngest. Millennials relatively young, some millennials certainly in the room. Uh, the average debt by a millennial is 80,000. This is all types of debt, of course, not just credit card. Uh, Gen X, 135,000, baby boomers, 96,000. Of course, it makes sense. The older you get, hopefully you start to pay these things off. But the uh, silent generation, which is kind of our World War II folks, uh, still carry about $40,000 of, of debt, even at I think that'd be like somewhere in the mid-80s is where that would start. Anybody familiar with Will Rogers? Maybe you've seen this on Facebook. He was like an entertainer, like the late 1800s into the 1930s, I think 1940s. Uh, entertainer, but, but very influential individual. But I love this quote by him because I don't think anything has changed in 100 years or 200 years, or I'll talk about here in a moment, really in all of, of humanity. Uh, but he has this quote, too many people spend money they haven't earned, debt, to buy things they don't want, buyer's remorse a lot of times, to impress people they don't like. 
you know, we're, we're trying to get the nice car so the neighbor thinks we're doing well, or the nice big truck because they think we're doing well. So why do we have debt? And uh, this was a piece as I was kind of putting some information together I thought was interesting. Because yes, it, it is a financial aspect. But so much of this is right up here. And I'll talk about that and we'll, we'll kind of work through that. But if you don't have this house in order, uh, it doesn't matter how much you know about debt or debt management. Because so much of it, and I would argue more of this is actually psychological, the discipline, than than the actual knowing how to budget. Um, and if you think about, you know, back to, to Genesis, the book of Genesis, I, I mean, Adam and Eve struggled with contentment in the garden. They weren't content with what they had. And, you know, really, as we start to expand reasons we have debt, oftentimes it comes back to contentment or some of these other reasons, but it's been a, a human, a flesh problem forever. And it continues to be, and of course it will continue to be, but let's look at some of those reasons. So why do we have debt? Of course, this is the one I, I have the most grace towards, if, if that makes sense, some, some type of unexpected emergency. Now, there are definitely ways you can plan and prepare, so it doesn't fully take folks off the hook, but if you got in a car accident, we had a client a couple of years ago, uh, right here on 257, uh, and 36, the bottom of that hill there. It's a, you've been there, it's a pretty dangerous part. There are a lot of accidents, but they were hit, uh, rear-ended. Of course, they had insurance, but it's been a nightmare in and out of courts for five years, all these medical bills, and, and really not even their fault. But it's totally derailed. And, you know, it's a lawsuit, and eventually they might recoup some of this, but it's just been this total nightmare. And all the meanwhile, the creditors, you know, are, hey, yo, it's this. So some type of, of accident, medical bill, lawsuit. Why else might we have debt? Materialism. And some of these will rhyme and have some overlap, but of course materialism, the, the love of things. This is a big one in America. Marketing, the media, social media. So, so again, if you flip on the TV, every commercial, Every advertisement telling you, you need this brand new car. You know, we talked about the, the Christmas, that you get the $75,000 Alexis gift wrap for Christmas. Um, social media, you know, social media, I think would be interesting. Relatively new, I think Facebook is, well, of course, MySpace, but they've been around 20 years, 15, 20 years. Uh, I, I think we're going to, a lot of benefits to social media, but, but I think we're gonna find out it has a lot of long-term health effects on folks, because if you think about social media, uh, a lot of times what you're getting is the highlight reel. You're seeing everybody else's best days. You know, does anybody post their worst days on Facebook or Instagram? I don't have all the, I mean, I, I'm an old soul, I suppose. I just do Facebook, but Instagram, TikTok, do you post your worst days? You know, you post, hey, I'm at Disney. You, let's get the castle in the back so everybody knows we have money. You know, or, or you happen to be like out in the yard playing, but you make sure the big new pickup truck is in the picture. Uh, and that's what we see of everybody, you know, scrolling through your phones. But, but the reality is those folks are broke. Almost all of, of those folks. So again, I would caution folks, uh, know that it's a, a highlight reel of people's lives. We talked about this last week, but once versus needs. You, know, you look at every budget, DiGiorno's a treat. 
So, you know, how far are we willing to go to define? There, I suppose there's a little bit of gray area here. You know, you do have to eat. You got to buy groceries. But we probably don't need to have steak every night. Uh, we <laughs> Brazilian, I know they like the, their, the steakhouse, the, the Fogos and the, the Texas. If, I don't know if that's anything like Brazil, but I'm going to assume it is, the Brazilian steakhouse. Um, but you, you have to eat, but you don't have to eat out. You, you know, do you need internet? I mean, the internet's nice. You know, again, there's nothing wrong with having uh, things that, that you want. But if we're, we're not taking care of the needs and, and the long-term planning, you know, are we willing to say, you know what, enough? Because reality, time will move on. Whether we make that decision or not, time will keep moving, and we'll only be in a worse place by waiting. Again, a lot of overlap here, social acceptance. I mentioned last week, you know, living with the, I would say Joneses, but some folks say Kardashians. So we're, we're just trying to keep up with everybody. And it, it's almost like this uh, vicious cycle because everybody's broke, you know, that it's, I mean, almost everybody that, that's trying to keep up. But I'm trying to keep up because you've got the F-150. Now I need to get the nice new F-150. And again, nothing wrong with things. But do we have our house in order? book talks a little bit about this if you read through the book but but you know coping and, and it's not if you're reading the book it'll talk about it. it's not just an issue I know we would stereotype this for like women but the example is actually men that it's talked about in the book so you know it, it's like stress eating this is stress shopping in this case and and 43 percent of Americans ha in this survey have said they have used it or plan to use it as a coping mechanism with stress. So it's, hey, I need to go buy something because it takes my mind off of stuff. And then the last piece, and you're probably, everybody probably wondering, did anybody know what the marshmallow was as it relates to the content today? Or is everybody just thinking like, you know, we went from cake to a little marshmallow and, and you're disappointed or something. Um, has anybody heard of the marshmallow test? So I absolutely loved this test. I first heard about it, I think it was back in undergrad or grad school, but, but it was a psychological test. And there have been some studies. I mean, I think it's a neat thing, but I think it drives home a good point. Uh, a lot of the early research on this actually points to, it'll be indicative of, of how well you do in life. They do it on children. There's been some recent studies that have debunked that, but regardless of whether the study is, you know, the, the actual marshmallow test works, uh, I, I think it's an interesting concept because the, the idea behind the marshmallow test is the researcher comes into the room and that you've got your plate and your big marshmallow, or, or, you know, if you don't like marshmallows, my wife hates gelatin, so she would like just absolutely hate this test. She would be good with it, but, but think of whatever your favorite thing is there, a big piece of candy or pie or Grater's ice cream or whatever. Uh, the researcher comes into the room and they say, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you can either eat that or I'm going to leave the room and I'm going to come back uh, in up to 20 minutes, at which point I'm going to put another marshmallow down on your plate. And so they did this test with children of, of how many children were willing to wait to, to get two marshmallows uh, or two pieces of pie, or two cookies, or whatever. If you think about what that's really the psychological concept, it's delaying gratification. Are we willing to put off stuff today for a better tomorrow? 
So how many of us as adults, you, you know, with decisions that we make, can't wait for the, the next marshmallow, the next cookie, the next piece of, of chocolate? And again, I think human flesh, whether we're five or two or 50, the, the desire is we want stuff now. And that's really what we have to, to fight back and, and push back on uh, is that desire. So let's talk about how we can start to do some of those things. And this uh, open discussion, so I think, same, okay, you still got the mic. So thinking about financial emergency, uh, if we want to be prepared for this, what, what are some ways that, that strategies we could put together to help us in the event of a financial emergency? You know, car accident, medical bill, lawsuit. Anybody, again, brave enough to, to give some ideas? And I'll let the mic get to you real quick, just because I know they're recording. Build up savings beforehand. Yeah. I think it's really that simple, is if you have an emergency fund, and again, I, I talked last week a little bit, but recommend three to six months living expenses. So take what it costs to run your household. Example I used last week, if it costs $5,000, this makes the math easy on me to run your household. Have anywhere between 15 and 30,000 in a place you'll only touch in the event of drastic emergency. And you might say, well, we're, you know, should I have three months or six months? I don't think there's a, you know, th that's the recommended range. I don't think that there's a perfect number. I would say, like, if your job is less secure, or if you're in sales or variable, you might want to hug towards the higher end if paychecks vary. If you're in a very stable position where you're like, hey, if I lost this job tomorrow, I could go get two jobs, uh, check, you know, maybe you would hug closer to three to four months of emergency funding. But I think it's just that simple, is we've got to have a pot of money uh, in case of emergency, and, and what is the emergency fund for most families today? The, the Visa, right? The MasterCard. Uh, and that's how they start to get you. So, talked about that uh, with the emergency fund. So what about materialism? What are some ideas to, to help uh, push back against the fleshly desire for materialism? I usually wait 24 hours to see if I still need it. Mm -hmm. I wait to get a paycheck. And after I get everything divided up, do I have money left over? Yeah. And usually by that time, I forgot about it. <laughs> and I think that's a great concept. One, I'll actually talk a couple of bullet points down of, of just, you know, with those wants, give it a couple of days or weeks and, and just see if you still, you know, don't impulse. Um, so I had put some different ideas up there. I mean, declutter. You know, there's this big movement of like, um, what do they call it? Minimalism, right? I, if you've heard of it, but I think it's Susan. Yes, Sam, go ahead. Well, what if there's a sales going on? Uh, no, I'm serious. Well, so it, it's interesting. I was thinking about that, um, kind of on the drive over here of, of you know different maybe biblical examples, and it. it Definitely wasn't temptation necessarily to buy things, but if you think about David when he was tempted, what did he do? He, he fleed. You know, he ran. Of course, he left his robe. He ended up getting in trouble, but, you know, as a result of it. Uh, but, you know, we see a sale on shoes. We got to run. You know, if, if, if that's what it takes, run uh, from, from the store. So it's, it's just slaying that desire. Yeah, go ahead. 
Well, on that, have you ever went to the gas station and saw buy one, get one? And it's like, let's say you buy one, it's $1.50, but if you buy two, it's two fifty. You're saving 50 cents. But the question is, did you really want the second um, candy bar? <laughs> if you don't want it, did you really save anything? <laughs> I was just asking a question. Yeah, no, good <laughs> question. Uh, so, you know, some other ideas, I mean, experiences over things. There's a lot of things you can do in Delaware County in central Ohio that cost no money or very little money. So, so you know, valuing those things over, hey, let's go buy and, and do X. And again, nothing wrong with buying or doing X that costs money, but if, if we're not thinking about long-term, about the future, if we're not paying the bills we have to, uh, we've got to take it out of, of the wants. Uh, gratitude or contentment. So again, just some, some simple ideas. I, I did this for a while. Type in Amazon or just while we're talking about it, don't buy it off Amazon. Just you know, get some paper. But every morning, you know, wake up and write two or three things you're thankful for. And again, it takes a discipline. It's hard to get into that practice. But take two to three minutes to, to, to write things you're thankful for. And I think you'll, you'll realize you'll have less of a fleshly, carnal desire to go out and spend money on things you don't need. How do we push back on the media, social media, marketing, you know, all the advertisements, all the things that are thrown to us when we load up our phones, our iPads, our computers, our TVs? Any ideas here? Instead, limit your time up front. And I think that's one of the simplest ways, and again, it requires a uh, discipline. Susan, go ahead. Ryan mutes the ads on TV and the commercials, <laughs> so he just doesn't pay attention to them. Okay. And I don't watch TV, so. Yeah, yeah, so just ignore, right? And, and uh, I, I think, you know, ignore, remove, limit social media consumption. I mean, it, I, I know that if you have an iPhone, I assume everybody that, that has an iPhone the same way, every Sunday morning sitting in first service, I get my screen time notification. Does anybody else get that Sunday morning? Okay. I assume all iPhone. And sometimes I look at that and I'm like, wow. You know, I, I'm embarrassed. I wouldn't want to show it to, to just how much screen time. And of course, not all that social media uh, consumption, but, but just the, the screen time will limit the consumption of those things. What about uh, wants versus needs? And certainly we're starting to get into some overlap, but, but how do we push back on uh, wants versus needs? Or what are some strategies to help us here? So here were just some ideas, and there, there are many. Uh, you know, of course, you, you can't take any of this stuff with you. Brenda, go ahead. Well, I mean, this kind of ties into several of these areas, but I was just thinking, you know, if you can be part of a community or a peer group of somebody, of other people that have similar goals, or, you know, that are trying to be, where it's okay to say, no, you know, let's not go, you know, let's not go out to eat. Let's just pack a picnic and meet at the park. Or, you know, so if you have some accountability or, or a group of people that you're trying to do this with. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great point. And uh, I know, like, in on Reddit, there, there's communities of, like, minimalists and, and folks that are all trying to share ideas of, of how do we cut out things and limit consumption and the budget. But, you know, I, I think it is great because if, if your friends every week, uh, every Friday night, Saturday, they're saying, hey, let's go to Polaris and let's go out to eat. And again, nothing wrong with that, but, but if you're trying to get your financial house in order and your budget in order and that's always the pressure, 
you know, eventually you're probably going to cave and, and go out to eat or you continue to go out to eat, so it's about building the habit. So Sam, go ahead. I think one of the struggles I have found between wants and needs is convenience, right? Uh, wants usually require work <laughs> and needs is more convenient. Not uh, the other way around. Flip-flop, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the other way around. Needs require work and wants is more convenient. Yeah, right? yeah. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like... Packing picnic or stopping at, you know, a Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's and getting it and taking it home, you know, and I think that's, I think that's one of the biggest problem for us is um, the work habit in a sense mm -hmm. that keeps us from doing it. Yeah, it's a good point, and and so drilling down on that, I mean, how would we plan for that specific example? Because that's probably an issue for everybody here. It's, it's easier to, well, let's stop by Jimmy John's on the way home, or let's swing through Wendy's. And again, I like all of these places. But but how would we better prepare? Because Sam's right, it is work. Would it be like maybe meal planning? You know, Who Sunday likes to and meal and plan? <laughs> That's tough right there. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll do rice and beans. Okay, and sounds good. <laughs> uh, Bill Gates wants us to have bugs, so everybody <laughs> have bugs. Um, but, but when you think about it, it is work, and, and that you know, I would go back to the quest because this isn't going to be easy. Because everything that that would be easy would lead you on the financial death spiral. You, you know, so it, it's that long, arduous journey. But but something like, hey, let's go to the grocery store Sunday and let's buy enough food for four or five days, and and we spend two to three hours as a family and put together meals. I mean, that's one idea if that's an area you're struggling with. Of, of you look at your budget and say, man, we're spending $400 a month eating out. Again, not to, to beat a dead horse, I'm sure you've all heard it from me enough, but, but nothing wrong with eating out, but if we're not saving for the future, if we're not doing the things we have to, that's the problem. Uh, the other area I'd put up there is if, you know, sometimes just focusing on the needs of others can, can help kind of uh, contain that fleshly desire of, of you know, giving back to others or helping others or, you know, it, I know it's so cliche and kind of tacky to say, but I don't like to get gifts. Um, I, I get a lot more joy out of, like, buying somebody a Starbucks and, you know, unexpectedly or something. And again, that's spending money to some extent, but, but I think you can do a lot of those things, of course, that you're not spending money. But, but think about the, other, the needs of others as opposed to our own or wants of others. Um, well, and I kind of punched the button, but we've talked a lot about this. So um, social acceptance, again, one idea is, you know, a lot of that's where we find our identity. I mean, that, that's ultimately what social acceptance is. We're trying to drive the nice car, have the nice house, take the nice trips, because we want everybody to think we're in really good shape financially. Uh, but, but effectively, we're letting other people dictate our value. So, so if we can find our value and our worth in us as opposed to others, you know, that might be an area that, again, would help here. So here, and again, I'm, I'm going to speed through this a little bit just because we've covered, there is a lot of overlap, but, but retail therapy, some ideas. The stress aspect's tricky because we're still probably going to have stress. But let's try to find some healthier ways to deal with it. And, and for me personally, one of the ways that you know, I like everyday exercise, but eat healthier, healthier diet, you know, go out and I know a lot of folks like to play in the garden, 
you know, that, that relieves stress. Uh, go on walks, you, you know, find ways that are low cost, no cost, healthier alternatives than running to Best Buy because you, you, know, you, you need to buy a tablet to feel good, to, to cope for a period of time. And again, I know that's hard. Uh, the marshmallow test, and, and Susan, you had hit on this earlier, there's a rule out there in, in a study, and again, I don't think there's any perfection to it, but I, I find it really interesting. They call it the three-day rule. So anytime you want to buy something that uh, you don't need, that you want to have, before purchasing, wait three days. So go look at the item, come back, wait three days. And what they found in this study is it was like 40-some percent of people that did that didn't end up buying the item because they found out they really didn't want it or need it. It was just an impulse. Uh, so, so with, I mean, certain things, you know, you got to go to the grocery store and you got to buy food. But, but with those more impulse buys, uh, give yourself time. Anybody heard of, like, the phrase buyer's remorse? So, you know, I'll share an own personal story uh, where I had followed a lot of these processes but still decided to make the purchase and, and I have buyer's remorse uh, you know at this point but this is relatively recently so you go down to Costco uh, about a year ago and they had out the Oculus VR the, the virtual reality headsets and I'd look at that and I'm like all right next trip you know if I still want it next trip I'll get it and I kept putting myself off because I'm like eventually at some point I'm not going to think this will be cool um, and it, I probably did that for three to four months. They'd went out of stock. I'm like, oh, that's a sign. You know, they're not going to buy it. It came back in stock. And I'm like, ooh. So, so you know, now I was back. And I ultimately purchased it. I think it was three or $400 for the purchase. But probably used it maybe two to three hours over the last six months. You know, so I, I still have some buyer's remorse. But I'm sure we've all bought things where we've got them. And, man, it's going to be awesome and cool and neat. And you immediately regret that, that you did that. So uh, I think sometimes just taking some time. I do think it's not a bad idea to say, I'm going to give myself $20 this week for impulse buys. So again, budgeting all of this is not about being restrictive, having no fun, and, and delaying everything for, for down the road. But it's that balancing aspect of, uh, now again, it's tricky with a credit card to keep track of it. But if you put a $20 bill in your pocket and keep it in your wallet or purse and say, that's my impulse buy, well, if come Friday you, you open up and again dust flies out, you know, there's no impulse buys uh, at that point in time. So it's just one idea to kind of help ease that transition and maybe give yourself a little bit of money for those impulse purchases, but, but for everything else, certainly the bigger ones, the Oculus VRs, you know, three days or three months, or, you know, I think as long as you can put that off, the more likely you are to want it or, or need it with some of these things. Sam had talked about this uh, on, on Sunday, and this is right from the book, but I, I think it's good and, and worth repeating. You definitely get a lot of, of different perspectives on this. So I, I can already, you know, say Brian and Brenda, where they're going to fall in, in terms of the camp of, like, there's very little good debt, you know, maybe other than a house or, or something. Um, you know, I, I tend to fall more of a, a balancing act, and I like this test as a measure because I do think debt used wisely can be a great tool. I think, unfortunately, most folks don't use debt wisely or the fleshly desire is too great, and, and they misuse it and they get into trouble. 
So if I had to fall on an extreme of, of have no debt or have lots of debt, I would definitely fall have no debt. But I realize that for most people, uh, almost everybody, it's near impossible. And you think about how would you buy a house without debt? I, I don't know of anybody that could do that. Uh, how would a car? A car, again, the book, I know like Dave Ramsey will say, hey, if you're not paying cash for your car, you can't afford it. So I want to make sure that perspective is known. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, and we'll let Sam get the, the mic to you just so it is caught. How about when you get debt in order to get better credit reports? The whole credit score system I'm not a fan of. It's a very perverse system where I think it incentivizes things like that uh, of, well, hey, I need to have a revolving balance or have this open because, and it's a tricky thing because your credit score uh, and the, the score that you fall at determines the rate you borrow at. And I actually have a couple of slides I'll share with you. It makes a massive difference if you have great credit versus poor to average credit in your borrowing cost. And of course, the higher borrowing cost, the higher interest rate you pay, it only makes it harder to do all this stuff. Uh, that said, and again, I, Brian, feel free, Brenda, to, to chime in. I would never recommend somebody like carry debt because they're worried about their credit score. Um, a couple of years ago, you know, our own household, we had paid off a, a car, we had a five-year note, we paid it off in two years, and I get P, we bank with PNC, I get a notification, hey, your, your credit score has changed. I'm thinking, well, surely it's better, right? Like, I paid off a car, you know, freed up cash flow. And the score dropped like 30 points as a result of, of paying. I don't like to see the score down. Of course, it's since rebounded. But, but for me, I would never carry debt. I would never uh, carry debt, continue, you know, pay on things longer than you have to because you're worried about your FICO score. That would be my two cents. And I don't know, Brian and Brenda, if you agree with that or want to add anything. Okay. So the debt test. Because, again, I, I do think there is good debt. Um, and, of course, there's also bad debt. Right from the book, Sam covered these on Sunday. Uh, first question, and these are think about these as filters, right? So, so you're trying to filter things out. Um, is the item you're borrowing against going to go up in value or help you produce income? So like most folks, if you're buying a home within reason, and I always add within reason, uh, to your budget, uh, you can reasonably expect that home, it's not guaranteed, but to be worth more money in 10 years. So I think ownership of a home or hard assets is usually a good use of debt. Be, certainly in Delaware County, if you've bought a home, which it, you know, for renters is a two-edged sword because obviously you've seen the housing market get further and further uh, out of, of reach, but if you own a home, that almost always is a good asset, a good investment. Uh, if you're gonna buy a rental property, so a rental property, and it starts to change a little bit with like, if you've seen mortgage rates, I don't know if anybody saw them recently, but the 30-year mortgage is up over 6% now. A year ago, it was like below three. And got a question? Oh, I thought you were raising a hand. Okay. Uh, so when you think about the good debt aspect of it, if it's going to produce income, like a rental property, uh, and kind of a simple way to think about it, but let's say you bought a rental property, your mortgage payment uh, all in, principal interest, uh, homeowners insurance and taxes was going to be 1200 If you could rent the property for 1500 
uh, that leaves you $300 of positive cash flow that you can put back for maintenance and repairs and everything on the unit. That's a pretty good use of debt at that point in time. So, you know, test one, is it going to go be worth more in the future, or do we reasonably expect it, because, of course, few things in life are guaranteed, uh, or will it help produce an income? We get to the second filter, and this was an odd one. Um, definitely you'll see it occasionally, but, but I think it's a good point to make. Is the item you're borrowing against worth much more than the debt? And that simply stated, I mean, you would never take out a half-million-dollar loan to buy a $300,000 house. A bank would never give you that loan, but theoretically, if they would, you would never want to borrow more than you expect the asset to be worth. And some of that plays into, like, vehicles, which I'll talk about in a moment, because we've probably all heard you drive a car off the lot, a new car, and immediately it's, like, depreciated, like, 15% or something like that. The third item... Uh, and again, think about this as a filter, because we really want to meet all of these conditions. This goes back to week one, but is it manageable giving, given your current income? So it could uh, fit criteria one of it would produce income or go up in value. It, it could be worth no more than you're borrowing, but if you can't fit it into your budget, into the cash flow, you can't do it. So it's got to fit into the cash flow aspect of things. Uh, which is what number three talks about. So let's look through some examples. Uh, and this can just be an open, you know, shout it out. Good debt or bad debt? Again, nothing wrong. I don't know what kind of car. If That's car a Corvette C8. That's a good debt. Yeah. <laughs> Sam's not a car guy or anything like that. Uh, nothing wrong with this thing, but, but of course, this is a depreciating. I mean, I, you know, you might look the last year or two and say, hey, my truck's worth more than I paid for it. Don't get used to that. You know, these are depreciating assets. They're going to eventually go to zero. Every one of them will approach zero. They'll be worthless and scrap. Uh, good debt or bad debt, this is meant to be like education. Bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a good answer. It depends, right? So um, if you're, and I like thinking about especially investing in yourself, whether it's an undergraduate degree, a graduate degree, a certificate, uh, think about it as an investment, and you can calculate return on investment. So if you're going to go to Ohio State and go $50,000 in debt to get an engineering degree, the numbers would say that's a really good investment because your expected salary coming out is very high, your expected job placement is almost immediate, um, I have a cousin who, you know, she grew up with a kind of a gold spoon. Um, she went $200,000 in dollars, which, by the way, nothing wrong with, with this degree, but she went $200,000 in debt getting a women's study doctorate. Uh, and you think about, well, what do you do with that thing to ever justify the debt? The answer is there's not much. And, and so nothing wrong with that degree, but I think you want to look at the, the certificate, the degree itself, the, the, whether it's graduate or whatever and say, hey, is the expected return on this thing positive? You can think of it just like you would any investment. So if you can go become a doctor for 100000 but your expected wages are 400000 probably not a bad use of, of monies. But I, I do think there's huge return here, in, in, and I didn't put the slide up here, but basically the, the higher your education, not just in degree but certificate, the, the more stuff you know, uh, 
it, it multiplies and compounds your lifetime expected earnings. So I know not everybody in here is of working years, of course, but if you are of working years, you know, I think there's huge opportunity. And again, it doesn't have to be a four-year degree or a graduate degree. It could be, hey, I'm going to go get the certificate. Um, but education, what about, of course, this one to be obvious, uh, good or bad debt? So yeah, any type of credit card, carrying credit card debt, not good. A home we talked about, so good debt, right? You know, we reasonably, not guaranteed, but we reasonably expect those assets to be worth more when we go to sell them down the road. Other reason why, by the way, I like uh, owning real estate is it's a forced saving vehicle for folks where you have to make your payments, of course, or, or else you lose your house. So you're, you're forced to save a certain amount in a place that's not a replacement for saving for retirement, but of course you're paying down the balance, you're getting appreciation, so you're kind of gaining value on both ends of that. Uh, but, but I like it as a forced savings vehicle. Um, this, if you're familiar or a fan of Pond Stars, this is their sign, but, but you know, any type of Pond Shark or, or payday loans, good debt or bad debt? You know, so, or even like you're seeing a lot with tax preparers now. You know, they'll give you your tax refund today and, and you know, they'll wait 30 days to get the tax refund. And if you punch the math on that, you know, usually they're charging like a 25 or 30% interest rate to do that. So uh, sometimes you might have to, but, but be wary of these things. Uh, so we talked about a car, and, and I, I see this a lot uh, really in two places. One is when you come into money. So mom or dad passes away, grandma or grandpa, they left some money to you. That, that's the most common scenario where you get this windfall of cash. Uh, we also have seen it a lot in central Ohio with, uh, in this particular employer, is Honda. So Honda has done a bunch of, if you followed them, the last decade they've done a bunch of buyouts of their pensions. So all of a sudden these folks that had like very little, uh, you know, they're given $500,000, $600,000, $700,000 as cash because Honda's exiting their pension program. But we'll talk about the inheritance as an example. So imagine you were given $100,000 today. And unfortunately what too many folks start to think about immediately is, man, that's a nice new car. Or... That's a nice RV. Uh, <laughs> that's a Corvette RX-60 or whatever <laughs> Sam said. Um, but think about that question. You know, and be honest with yourself. If, if you had a $100,000 windfall today, what would you do with it? And, and I think if most folks were being honest, they'd want to spend it. They'd want to consume it. Well, they'd take a trip and they'd say, well, I'll invest some of it. You know, by the time they work through it, I've got $12,000 to invest. So... Uh, this will drive home with some math, an example of, of you know, I, I get it, not everybody's going to walk home today, and, and when you open the door, you're going to be $100,000 of cash on your floor. But, but it's a hypothetical example of the cost of these things, and, and it's a little bit blurry, so again, I'm going to scoot over. So if you look at, you get $100,000, if you take that and you buy an eight, the top left example is if you bought an $18,500 car and you invested the difference. Now this is actually, this is data I think from 2016-17, so these numbers, you know, 18.5 buys you like a 15-year-old Ford Ranger or something nowadays. Uh, but you can probably get still a nice used car for 18.5. So you take the 18.5, uh, you buy the car, and then you invest the difference. So you invest roughly $82,500. That top line 
represents the value of that investment over 30 years. So you have your car. You'll see there about eight years where you see the average life. That's where all of these cars, regardless of which one you bought, the, the average value is zero or close to zero at that point. So that's the average life expectancy of a car. But you can see from that top line, if you invest that difference over 30 years, and this assumes a 6% rate of return, so we're not assuming 10, 12, 15% rate of return, the amount uh, that you had invested by buying the smaller car has grown into 496000 So some of that I'll echo what Brian was sharing of, of thinking about you know, life goals, about where do we want to be 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 10 years from now. Uh, and I'm just going to hop to the very bottom there. If you buy the Corvette RX60 or whatever that is in the picture, it's hard to see that number, but it's 83000 for this vehicle. So you invest some. You invest about $17,000. And you might say, well, I'd never do that. I see that all the time. Folks who come into money, and the first thing is, well, new car, we always wanted to remodel the kitchen, and none of those things are bad, but how much of it is, you know, it, it's table scraps that's left over for future. Uh, we take, we buy the $83,000 car, we invest the $17,000, 30 years later we have $97,000. So the actual cost of that car, and this is how I think you should think about money, the cost of that car after 30 years cost you $400,000 if you're here in 30 years. And you may not be here, you might say, well, I won't be here in 30 years. Well, if you're here in 15 years, it probably cost you 200,000 or 175,000. So I think if we can start to think about our money, a dollar today could be worth $5 in 30 years. Do we want that marshmallow today? Or are we willing to delay the, the gratification? Uh, here's another example. Um, I had actually pulled this slide, so I didn't put that little devil on there, but I think it thematically fits. A, a very odd concept to me, but apparently a lot of people do this. So, so, and actually where we see this a lot is around, actually I'm kind of curious, just as maybe a, a group uh, answer or response. When do you think most people go buy in our country a big TV? What time of year? Super Bowl. So everybody got there real quick. Uh, why you would ever buy a TV and put it on a credit card, I have no idea. It, it, again, it's one of those things that makes no sense, but it, we know folks do it. We can see the data. So you can see here, uh, if you buy a $1,000 TV and you pay $1,000 cash for the TV, how much does the TV? And of course, TV, depreciating asset. What's a TV worth in five years? Zero. So not a bad thing, but, but it doesn't fit our debt test, one, two, or three. Um, you pay, obviously, cash, $1,000 TV costs you 1000 bucks. If you pay, uh, you finance it, put it on a credit card, uh, this assumes an 18.9% interest rate, so some of you might have a little bit more favorable interest rate, and I say favorable, you know, almost half-joking, because it, maybe it's only 15%, uh, as opposed to 18 or 19. There's probably many folks in the room where it's north of 20 because of, of credit score. Uh, but if you're an 18.9% interest rate, if you make a $100 payment on your TV, it ends up costing you $1,096, principal and interest. So you paid another 10% upcharge for the TV if you finance it and pay it over 10 months. Uh, pay the minimum balance. And, and this is another piece that we see so often of you get the statement and 
it's minimum payment, $25 or $50. This assumes, I think, it's a $25 minimum payment. But you pay the minimum balance, that $1,000 TV ends up costing you, principal and interest, $1,500. So if you think about the, the time value of money, and, and was that TV that, that is eventually going to zero worth $1,500 when you bought it? And of course, you could insert any other thing that you finance. I mean, this is an example of a TV. Sam. So, uh, so I'm just playing the devil advocate since you have that <laughs> there, but not really. So, you, so when when you talk about finance, especially that in conversations like these, there is one thing that most uh, most uh, financial advisor people do is to neglect the experience, neglect the benefit of that outside of just the financial value of it, because then you put another value in the, in the money and not putting the value on, on the experience. For example, a TV on a Super Bowl on my wall, watching with my friends with the popcorn and the Coke or the beer or whatever, in the, that, that experience there, you don't get it every day. You get it on the Super Bowl only. So can I resume, why would I resume um, my life on on a thousand dollar, fifteen hundred dollar, and ex keep the experience. Then I have an answer, but I'll let Brian go. Well, I think what you need to think about here is there's no re there's no reason why you can't go out and spend a thousand dollars for the TV. It's because you weren't planning. You end up paying the fifteen hundred. So it's the five hundred dollars. It costs you fifty percent more because of not planning. Now I'm gonna throw another twist into this, Dusty. Um, for me to go out and spend $1,000 for a TV, I have to go earn somewhere between $1,400 and $1,500, pay federal tax, city tax, uh, state tax, FICA, and everything to bring home $1,000. Mm -hmm. So if I'm paying cash for the TV, I literally had to go out and earn $1,500. So if I'm gonna pay another $500 of interest, I have to earn another $750 to pay the $500 interest. So the $1,500 example there is gonna be somewhere in the, what, $2,200, $2,300 is what that $1,000 TV actually costs me. Yeah, it's a good point, because Brian talking the difference between the net income, which this is referencing net, and then of course gross income, because you only get net via gross uh, income. But I do think it's an interesting way to think about expenditures as how many hours of your time to buy the thing. You know, if, if you think, well, hey, that would be 25 hours of work, would it be worth that? Now, now Sam, to your point, it, it's not, in, in my view, none of this is about not having fun. Well, I was about ma making fun, because I couldn't make a different argument. For example, yeah. like degree, right? You're talking about degree there, and the ups, like you need to think about what degree you're taking and what you're gonna make it afterwards to try and to offset. Like, that goes completely against ministry. Like, ministry degrees are high, ministry pays are not that high, but the value is beyond financial value. So that's what I was trying to get into it. Because if you're gonna, I am, so I can make many arguments, right? I should have been a lawyer. Um, I'm not saying that, I, I'm just trying to figure out the emotional and the, uh, what I'm calling emotional balance into money and experience to what you, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I make sense. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like you can't buy me a Super Bowl experience. 
a TV would buy me a Superboy experience. Like, maybe not everybody would like a, a Superboy experience. Maybe you like a boating experience with the fishing, or maybe is there is nothing like a brand new shoes. It just makes you feel like the Superman. Does he sound but like a walking advertisement, or is it just so, me? But no, so so no. I'm, I'm I'm I think because I I'm bringing this up because I think the average people yeah, sure. can hear that and think, wow, I need to be there. But deep down, deep down, when you go down and sit in your bed and you're looking at your computer and looking at your budget, like, man, but then, you know, I won't have that experience of a vacation. I won't have that experience, you know. And, and I understand the planning part, and I think that's all part of it. I, I, I was just, I'm just playing it out. When you're not spending the money on the interest to the banks, you actually have more money and can literally have more experiences. Proper planning gives you more opportunities. Good point, Brian. Good. Or like, uh, let's say I want to watch this football, but I have to think about what happens after the Super Bowl. Instead of buying a $1,000 TV, can I go to a friend's house, buy like $50 in drinks, and save myself $950 and still have the experience. <laughs> so you just have a good friend, is what he said, <laughs> that has a big TV. You're going to Sam's house. Did you have another comment here? In, thanks, Sam. I, I guess since we're talking about debt, what about when I'm such a good customer at Best Buy, they offer 0% financing for 12 months? Is that a debt that's appropriate or still not? So, it, it, and if you didn't hear the question, you see a lot of zero percent for 24 months, or you know, you go buy furniture. Um, to me, I mean, those are always so. It goes back to the budget. You know, are we we taking care of what we we have to long-term planning, what we have to today, and if we have room in there to to say, and we're responsible, because you know, the reason they offer zero to me is because somebody doesn't pay it off in 12 months, or 24 months, or 36. So, so I, I think it's a dangerous tool that, that some of us can go there and, and you know pay it off in 24 months, 36 months, and, and that's a great deal if you can over. So I use a lot of that, but I, I recognize the only reason they're offering 0% to me is because somebody is paying a lot of interest on that. So I, I would just caution folks. The Don't pay it off. So you didn't hear Brian said 70% of folks who take those offers don't actually pay them off within the period of time. The 30% that do, it's a good deal. Okay. Yeah, but I, it, you're playing with fire for most people. I know I can do that. I'm never going to tell anybody else to do that. The other thing I always worry about when it says 0%, am I really getting a $1,000 TV or am I getting a $600 TV and paying the $1,000 at 0%? And they've marked it up and, that way. Yeah, yeah, then they marked it up. The other thing that's not on this slide that we've gotten in trouble with in the past is this concept called rent to own. For just $19 a month, we can sell you, we can give you that 1,000, or for $19 a week, we can give you that $1,000 TV. Just give us $19 for two years. Yeah, yeah. And then when I was done paying that off, I added up how much that was. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the reason they offer those deals is not because it's beneficial for us. It's, it's good business for them. Um, I know we're getting a little bit long. Uh, it seems to always work out that way. So, so some of you might be saying, hey, th those are all great, because that's a lot of the psychological 
how do we avoid the temptation? But what if we already have debt? And I'll kind of breeze through this first piece. Um, so if we have debt, and, and especially bad debt, what should we do? Uh, we start, again, you've got to have a budget. You've got to know how big your cake is, where your cake goes. So you've got to have the spending plan. Uh, then you want to create a list of your debts. So I'd be curious, and for sake of time, I won't do it, but how many of you know roughly uh, what your debts are, what the interest rate is, the balance of... That's impressive, actually. More than half. So, so that's a good starting point to know where we are. Because, again, we can't create a problem or, or craft a solution uh, until we actually know where we are. And then, of course, create a strategy. Here are two different strategies, and you've probably heard of these before. Um, so we've kind of went through the budgeting. We figured out where money's going. We, we've kind of laid out our goals. I like how Brian has added life goals, you know, in addition to this kind of medium, short-term, long-term. Uh, then you've got to develop a, a method, and, and the most efficient method for paying down debt, if you just look at, at money, is going to be your avalanche method on the left-hand side. Think about an avalanche. You know, it, it starts real big, and then it kind of uh, trickles down to something more small at the base of the mountain. So here you, you list debt by uh, your highest interest debt to your lowest interest debt. So in uh, descending order, highest to lowest. And, of course, we've carved out to say, hey, this piece of cake, this is how much we can allocate to debt every month. And, of course, we want to try and grow that piece, but, but we're starting with our piece of cake. Um, all you do here with the avalanche method is you make minimum payments on all of them. So you definitely want to make sure you're not going into default or penalties, interest, but you make a minimum payments on all of them, but you start with the highest interest payment and you apply the most money to it. So if you've got a 9% debt, a 5%, and a 4%, you'd start with the 9%. You're making minimum payments on all three, but you're putting all of that money towards the, the highest interest, the most cost-to-you loan. Uh, the other method is snowball. So you think about a snowball, it starts small and, and builds big. Um, there's a lot of psychological advantage, and I, I will find that oftentimes when I talk with folks, we use a little bit of both of these. So the snowball method, you actually look at, at your smallest balance loans and pay those off first. So, so you don't look at rate necessarily, and there's always nuance here. You know, just to put that, I mean, it, if you have a 25% big balance, we probably want to start there as opposed to a you know 5% small balance. But the idea here is to get small victories. You, you know, to build some momentum, to see some results in the process of. You know, if we can start and say, we've got a debt that's $584 and one that's $784, and maybe we've got one that's $38,000. If you go the avalanche method and the $38,000 is the highest interest, it's going to take a long time to pay that off. It's still important that you do it, but you're not going to have any mental victories for a while. However, if you kind of flip that and say, hey, let's start with the one that's $584, and let's get a win. We've got the visa paid off. So, so it's, it's starting with the smallest balance. Again, it, it's not financially necessarily the best, but it, it factors in we're all people. We all have emotions and feelings, and, and so it, it's trying to build a habit and momentum. I think you know, most people should use a mix of these where you know, there's some common sense of, okay, if you've got one that's $300 and it's 15%, let's go ahead and pay that off. It feels good to, to put an X through there. You know, we get a win, we get a victory. 
but there's some nuance in, in looking at the rest of that. Yeah, well, that's another piece. You know, we got to first slay the dragon, right? Uh, and, and the book talks about that. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, we run our household. Again, I would never encourage a, a household to do this because I know us. I don't know everybody else how they run. But, but we run everything through a credit card. End of month, we pay it off. Uh, and it probably equates to, you know, seven or $800 a year free month. I would say most people, like the Best Buy TV, you know, should not do that because the temptation is too great not to pay it off and then you start to spiral out of control. So again, if you can be responsible, debt can be a great thing. But we know most people, and I'm not, of course, talking in this room, just nationwide, four out of five people can't be responsible. Um, you look at credit score, again, I'll, I'll kind of breeze through this. The left-hand side, it, the pie chart talks about components in credit score, so what goes into it. The right-hand side's where I'll focus because it talks about why credit score matters. Again, it's a little bit, the, the text I know, hard to see. If you're going to go buy a home, and let's say you're going to buy a $250,000 home on a 30-year mortgage, does everybody in the room know their credit score or roughly where they are, by the way? Most of the time you get it for free from your bank now. We'll give it to you. Um, $250,000 home. So imagine we're all going to buy the same value home, but we all have different credit scores. For those of us, and, and these rates are dated, you know, so, so this is not rates today. This was rates like a year ago. But if you have an 800-plus credit score, a year ago you would have got an interest rate of 3.73%, or on that 30-year mortgage you would have paid 166000 of interest over the 30-year period of time. That doesn't mean anything without some framework. If you're down here, let's say you're a 670 to 739. That's considered good credit. Uh, you're not very dependable. You're not exceptional borrower. You're kind of middle of the road. You would borrow at 4.35% instead of 3.73. So you're going to pay more interest because you're more risk to the lender because of, of your, your credit score. Uh, you'll see the lifetime interest that you'll pay. You pay $196,000 of lifetime interest over 30 years as opposed to 166. So your credit score in this example cost you $30,000 of monies over 30 year period of time. And of course you can see if you're way down, you know, if you can even find someone to give you a, a loan, 579 or less, you're considered very risky. Well, it actually says not available. We'll go right above that 580. You end up paying a quarter million dollars of interest. So unfortunately, it, debt is the kind of thing that snowballs in a lot of ways. And, and that's where it's about we've got to kind of destroy and stop the snowball because if we're in a bad place financially or, or not where we want to be, it costs more to borrow. Well, if it costs more to borrow, it takes more from our budget. It takes more from our budget. That, so it's, it's this vicious cycle that we've got to break out of. Uh, again, I know we're, we're a little bit long. I'll just kind of read through some reflection. This is from the book. Uh, so if you're in debt, I think it's important, think about the side effects that debt or poor money management or, or maybe just not being where you want to be financially has had on your life, on your marriage, on your relationship with your kids, your coworkers, your peers, your neighbors, folks here at church. And again, you might say, well, it's had no impact. I don't believe that. Because even if you say, well, yes, it, 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 like I said, it's not, hey, we can't take our kid to Disney World. It's the psychological impact of not having your financial house in order. 
you're less happy, you're more stressed, you tend to enjoy life less. And if you're, if you're more stressed, you're, you're not probably living to your fullest potential. You're not really spending quality time with your kids or your grandkids. Because all back of mind, you're thinking, how am I going to pay for that bill? So it, it has a massive, massive impact. Um, number two, we, Sam's our walking advertisement. I appreciate the devil's advocate. Uh, but, but to what extent are you influenced by these things? You know, we want to buy the experience, and nothing wrong with the experience, but I love what Brian and Brenda said. Well, if we, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll end with an idea to help with that, but if we want to, Super Bowl's what, 10 months away? Eight months, right? You're on the end of February, first part of March. If you want to have the big 70-inch TV, start now saving for it. So if you want a $1,000 TV, just take the number of weeks between now and the Super Bowl, which you just punch into Google, number of weeks between the Super Bowl, it'll tell you the number, uh, and then $1,000 TV, divide 1,000 by the number of weeks you have and put that much, which we'll talk about that again as an idea here in a moment. Um, three, we, we've talked all around it, we've talked about it a lot, but you've got to be laser focused with all of this because th this is the kind of thing that if you're hot and you're cold, it never works. You'll never see results. So if it's, well, I'm, I'm going to be great with debt for a month and then next month, eh, I, I did some coping and I did some retail therapy and I land a best, it never works as a process unless you commit to it and you make it a habit. Uh, I'll end with some next steps. So uh, if you haven't already, you know, again, I recommend start the process. Get your budget, your spending plan in order. That will help you create a, a plan to manage debt. Uh, Sam has mentioned it uh, before, but, but you know, for folks who get through the four-week session, we've got two more weeks to go. Um, there's going to be coaches available to kind of help out. So, so ask for guidance. Seek wisdom and knowledge from those folks that are doing this correctly already. Keep learning. You know, again, there's plenty of free uh, resources. I put up here Proverbs, but, but I know Sam had ended, uh, what was it, Second Kings, right? Second Kings 4. Um, this was a verse out of Proverbs. Proverbs, my favorite book of the Bible, probably not surprisingly, but I've always enjoyed it. Uh, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. I know that's vicious and harsh, and we say, ah, that's mean, maybe. But, you know, all of these things, we could sit here and talk about them. They're, they're great ideas, but unless we put these things into action, nothing will change. Nothing will happen. Uh, you think about Second Chronicles, the, the story in Second Chronicles. There was a lot going on there, but the widow had to take her step. She and Sam, I thought you phrased it nice. I don't remember exactly how it was, but we got to do our part so that, you know, they'll do their part and we have to do our part in this whole process. Uh, final thing I'll leave with you is everybody on the table has a red envelope. And this, you could do it for the Super Bowl. Uh, I gave you a Christmas idea because I talk with a lot of folks and we see a lot of debt created around Christmas time because we get there and we say, well, we've got to buy gifts for this person and that person and, and gifts are 300 here and 500 here. And so we see a lot of credit card uh, debt created around the holiday season. So, so usually you're most stressed about money early the following year because you've created all these debts and now you have to figure out how to pay for them at a time when you really want to be enjoying the, the holiday season. So the idea I'll give you, again, if you, you want to think about the Super Bowl, you can just kind of alter this a little bit. Um, but we have 27 weeks until Christmas. Now, if, if you get paychecks, uh, if you're paid every other week, 
or twice a month. I mean, this would be a little bit different. But if you're paid every other week, as opposed to bi-monthly, you're going to have somewhere between 13 to 14 paychecks. You know, of course, if you're retired and you get one check a month, I mean, you would just take the number of months between now and then. But if you find yourself struggling with Christmas, take the amount you would usually spend. So let's say that, uh, and I'm going to punch this on my calculator, you would normally spend $2,000 at Christmas. And if I'm paid, uh, I've got 13 more pay periods, let's say, for me between now and Christmas. So take 2,000, it's very easy math, divide it by 13, and on that envelope, um, you can write Christmas, you can write Super Bowl TV, whatever you want, but, but just an idea for you. Uh, if we normally spend $2,000 at Christmas, we've got 13 pay periods to go, 2,000 divided by 13 is $153. So wouldn't it be great if every time you're paid between now and Christmas, you took $153 cash, put it in that envelope, and come Christmas time, you had Christmas paid for? So that's the idea I'll leave with. I, I think you could take that idea and spin it to a Super Bowl TV, a car, or whatever, but, but it's about planning and strategy and goals. And some of you might say, hey, a TV is more important to me than an iPad. That's great. We're all going to have different goals. And that's where you know, I love that Brian starts with, you've got to think about what's important to you all. But, but something is important to everybody in this room. And if we wait till that moment to, to try and figure it out, that's where we get into trouble with our minds.